Hey, what's up, my friends? Welcome back to the Pilgrimage Podcast. My name is Joshua Luke Smith, and this is a space for the curious, creative, and contemplative souls. We're here to dig into uh, the depths of what it means to be here, what it is to live a full and abundant life. And uh, today we're continuing the series that we've started called The Kingdom Is Yours. Before I jump into part three, um, just a shout out to the community of The Pilgrimage Co. This podcast doesn't have sponsors or advertisements. This podcast is here because of you guys. And uh, we have um, we have a website called thepilgrimage.co. And you can sign up to support the podcast. But more than that, to become part of a community of people learning and leaning into something some of these ideas that we're exploring on the podcast. What, it, what does it mean to live the spiritual life? What does it mean to engage every part of who we are into the moments that we experience? What does it mean not to run away, not to be numb, not to be dumbed down by the systems that so often coerce us into believing that life is just this dreary experience that we have to get through? What does it mean to be creatively engaged? These are some of the questions that we explore. So if you want to get involved and support this podcast, you can sign up at thepilgrimage.co. Follow us on Instagram at thepilgrimage.co. And I would love to see you around. But without further ado, my friends, this is part three of this new series, The Kingdom is Yours. Yes, yes, yes. So these last couple of weeks, uh, we've been exploring this passage from the New Testament where Jesus speaks to a group of people about this idea of a kingdom, his kingdom. And he's given this manifesto, what I'm calling the manifesto for abundant life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life in abundance. And so in the Sermon of the Mount, which is this portion of scripture, Jesus is giving this incredible, potent, poetic description of what it means to live the abundant life. And that word abundance is uh, really kind of in our culture and in our day associated with having things, right? An abundance of whatever it is, money, resource, uh, houses, you know, whatever, abundance. And in the Beatitudes upon this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is delivering this kind of blow to our egos and to our mindset of what it means to achieve and to have and to be successful and he's speaking of this kingdom this kingdom that is here but this kingdom that is coming and this kingdom which is different to our kingdom this kingdom where when you're a part of it you can't help but see yourself in others and you can't help but see them in you this kingdom which is expansive and inclusive this kingdom that at its core is joyful and peaceful and the only way that we can fully experience and inherit this kingdom is by ridding ourselves of anything in opposition to it and as one mystic says the only thing that burns in hell is (laughs) self-will the only thing that prevents us from fully experiencing the goodness available to us is self-will this constant drive that we have to be first this desire we have to prove something that would make us worthy of the oxygen that we breathe you know and uh yeah the beatitudes if you let them are these phrases that they uproot and they replant you that's that's the best 
best way that I can kind of describe my experience of the Beatitudes, this feeling of being uprooted, uprooted from the way I've seen the world for so long. And not only the way I've seen the world, but the way I've seen the spiritual path, you know, what it means to live fully, what it means to live here, how to make my life matter. And then replanted in this garden bed that honestly I used to scorn, I used to look at and think of, you know, a life that had been wasted because I hadn't been, you know, hell bent on searching for significance and success in the ways that I was taught, not by one particular person, but by a culture, by a, by a norm, by a system. I was taught was the way that you really lived a full and meaningful life. When Jesus begins speaking, every word turns the kingdom within us upside down. It removes the empires that we've constructed to make space for his kingdom. And the beatitude that we're going to explore today is probably, of all of them, one of them that has unsettled me the most. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to read it to you. Uh, I'm going to read every, every week. I'm going to read it from the top and then down to the one that we are, that we're looking at and exploring, you know, each week. And as I've said before, this, this isn't an, an academic, you know, exegesis work of scholarship around this, this scripture. This is a simple meditation and a pursuit towards application of the words that Jesus shares here. And um, I, I just hope that these, these sessions together will increase an appetite within us for this kingdom, this kingdom that is so vastly and incredibly different to the world that we live in, but it will increase an appetite for us to pursue it and to bring it into the spaces where our lives exist impacting those who our lives interact with um, so this is this is the beatitudes he opened his mouth and he taught them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, for the longest time, I, I wrestled with this phrase. It's the second line in the manifesto. It's obviously so important to Jesus's uh, description of what it means to live in his kingdom. And I've wrestled with it because to mourn, to grieve, to feel the ache of bereavement is the evidence of something that has gone wrong and that isn't right. So how could it be the blessed way of living? How could it be the evidence of abundance? And I, in many ways, this is, this is an example of how, you know, upside down Jesus' Jesus's approach to fulfillment really is. But the more I've meditated upon it, the more time I've spent with it, the more I've realized for so long I've had a very superficial and very shallow relationship with suffering. I've only ever seen pain and suffering as something to avoid at all costs. And so its presence in my life has been an awkward one. It's been something I've tried to distract myself from. And the reason that 
you know, my response has been one of upset and confusion when I read this scripture is because it confronts probably the shallow waters of my spirituality. And that really is where this one line has begun changing my mindset in a huge and I think very significant way. No one grows up with an appetite for suffering. No one goes about their life with a desire for pain as if it's a pathway to fulfillment and significance, you know. We grow up and as we as we mature, we learn that suffering and pain is a part of the human experience. And then we begin building structures in our life to protect us from it physically and psychologically. And so the whole idea of suffering, the whole idea of pain is something that we're trying to avoid and put as much distance between us as we can. Um, and therefore, our whole outlook on life is one that is, we are doing well when suffering, the feeling of suffering or, or pain is minimized in our life, where there's less evidence of it in our life, then our life is good, and our life is full. And there's a, there's a mystic who says, sorrow leads us away from insanity because the reality is, we are born into a world that is full of suffering and that is full of pain. And when we experience sorrow, we experience reality. And so to avoid an element of sorrow, an experience of suffering, is to live a life more rooted in fantasy than it is reality. I'm, I'm going to make one of the most obvious statements you've ever heard. Just prepare yourself for this. At the end of our lives, we die. Now, I know you're thinking I did not tune into a podcast to hear that statement. Just go with me. At the end of our lives, we die. We're all born into a world where the evidence of that is in front of us. We've experienced loss. We are deeply aware of and anticipating of the fact that at the end of our lives, we die. And so death psychologically for us and spiritually for us is related to the end. It's not something that we could experience in between now and the end. It's the end. And any sort of symbol or, um, or suggestion of death is avoided because it represents the close, the end scene, the final act. And we don't want this to end. And so we don't want any resemblance of death in our lives. The reason sorrow leads us from insanity is because death is more a part of our life than it is the end of our life. Death spiritually is something that we actually invite as the pathway to resurrection and new life. And the reason this is such a provocative and upside down statement is because the world we live in has taught us that, that an ending is synonymous with a failure. So when something ends, something has failed and something is over that should have been sustained. It's why it's not really just kind of 
a sci-fi movie idea that there could be the possibility of preserving our brains and consciousness to live beyond our mortal lifetimes. There's this insatiable appetite in humanity to live forever, not because we actually want to live forever, but because we don't want something to end. And I'm curious, I'm curious when I hear Jesus say this phrase, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. I'm curious about this idea that perhaps what Jesus is saying here is, blessed are those who mourn for they have learned to grieve. They have learned to receive death in their life. They will be comforted because they've stopped running from the idea that suffering is synonymous with failure, right? with hopelessness, with desolation. Blessed are those who mourn because they've understood that death is a part of life. And blessed are those who mourn because there's nothing that they're avoiding. And blessed are those who mourn because they've registered that not everything is right. And that to respond with tears is so often the most sane and appropriate way to respond to the world that we live in and the experiences that we're having. I once went to this this leadership conference and there's all these different speaking people speaking about, you know, being a great and effective leader. And at partway through this you know, schedule of very well-polished public speakers with motivating, inspiring talks. This small, humble Filipino bishop came up onto the stage and he was asked, what do you think is a defining attribute of the effectiveness of your leadership? And he said, we have learned In our country, we have learned to embrace tears. We don't carry tissues around with us to wipe them away. We recognize that tears are the healing balm souls who are experiencing suffering truly need. So we don't wipe away tears. We let tears comfort those who shed them. I, I remember, I remember the silence in the room as those words were spoken. And I remember the space in my soul that I felt when those words were spoken. It was as if all these thousands of people in the, in the chairs listening felt permission for the first time from a leader you know, to not be just distracted with inspiring talks, but given space to feel and to acknowledge. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who have stopped distracting themselves, who've stopped running away, who've stopped trying to convince themselves that they shouldn't be experiencing these things or that there is some great question to the whys in their heart the why do we suffer why do bad things happen to good people as if there's some answer that's going to satisfy that question when deep down we all know all we really desire is comfort there's nothing more 
that we need in those moments than comfort. I've spoken about this before on, on, on the podcast, but you know, a few years ago, my wife and I lost our best friend, Esther, uh, after, after a journey she had with cancer. And um, I just experienced it truly and fully and undeniably. I experienced the need for comfort, not for answers. And as someone who loves to think and ponder and question and contemplate, I, I anticipated the experience of having some great resolution and some great kind of, yeah, closure intellectually or creatively that would make sense of it all. And ultimately, all I needed was an embrace and all I needed was space to weep. And it took me a while, you know, it took me a while to really cultivate the space to cry and, and, and really like face what had happened and the, the depth of loss I experienced. And it was, uh, it was in the August after Esther passed away in July that I was sharing at a small gathering, a small conference, and um, I sang a few songs, I shared some poems. And afterwards, this gentleman came up to me, and I can picture him so clearly. And uh, he was probably in his in his late fifties, and he had this this kind of woolly jumper on, and this this quite nice shirt underneath it. And he was so skinny, and very just humble, and in in many respects unimpressive looking. You know, he he wasn't there trying to like steal anyone's attention. He was there just to listen. And to, and to leave. But before he left, he came up to me and he said, thank you uh, for your poems. Um, I recently lost my wife and the words that you shared spoke to me. And I'm looking at him and it's as if in his eyes, I can see the grief that I feel in my soul. I can tangibly and undeniably see the loss and the lack and the space that is left after someone goes. And I could see it in his eyes. And I just started sobbing. I just started crying. And it was it was embarrassing at first because I didn't know this man. And there was like, you know, a crowd of people there, but I just couldn't hold it in. And I said to him, can I hug you? And he very kindly said yes. And he hugged me. And I felt more connected uh, to a person, even though he was a stranger, I felt more connected than I had for a long time to anyone. Because it was as if my grief and his grief met together. And there was this permission for tears and for sobs on the shoulders of a stranger because sometimes it's the only way to respond to the world that we live in to the life that we experience sometimes it is insanity to run away from it you know and it's it's not only just the loss of another person it's it's the it's the experience of our internal worlds where we cause suffering 
towards ourselves and to others. You know, the word throughout the scriptures is is sin. That for many people is just a heavy religious word that doesn't doesn't really make much sense anymore. I heard one rabbi said, you know, sin is the disturbance of shalom, the disturbance of peace. And I think we all know in our lives where we disturb the peace, where we allow behavior and patterns and thoughts to disturb the peace in our lives and the lives of others, you know, there's a response to that. There's a grief to that. There's a mourning to that. I know the times in my life where I've made grievous grievous mistakes that have caused me such sorrow in reflection of them and I've tried to deny them and pretend that didn't happen but it was only when I allowed myself to experience the grief of what I might have put someone else through that I ever achieved any respect any type of comfort because until we accept imperfection we really cannot receive grace until we face the fact that we fall down and struggle to get back up. We won't experience the tenderness of that helping hand. And that's the beautiful, redemptive, scandalous message that Jesus brought to a weary and lost and broken world that you can't do this on your own, that you need divine strength. It's why the Apostle Paul wrote, you know, my my weakness is the space in which the divine strength is revealed. He said, your power is made perfect in my weakness. It's in my weakness and in my falling, in my failing and in my fragility that I'm made aware and conscious of the sustaining divine love in whom we live and have our being, who holds all things together. It's there that I bear witness to that truth. I've spent the last number of years um pastoring counseling mentoring spending time with people and as much of as much reading as i've done as as much as i've studied i did a did a degree in philosophy and i've, I've studied theology I, I know already in my life that there is no answer to these questions of why that satisfy the need to be comforted. Jesus, Jesus meant what he said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted because his name was, was Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when he said, blessed are those who mourn, he was saying, blessed are those who come into alignment with the way that things are. And once they're in alignment, once they've stopped running away, they'll meet the God who has never left them and who has never been afraid of or distant from humanity in their weakest and worst experiences. Jesus throughout the scripture gives us a blueprint in our response to suffering. When he finds out that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been murdered, it says he takes himself away to a desolate place. That means fruitless barren, lonely place. He recognizes that there is nothing that could distract him away from what he feels that would satisfy the need in him to meet with God. And so he goes and when he stands outside the grave of his best friend Lazarus, it says, and it's the shortest verse in all the scriptures, it says, Jesus wept. 
even though deep within him he knew that that death wouldn't be the end he wept because why wouldn't you it's the only appropriate experience to suffering in that respect so he wept and what we realize this is the spiritual life is a life that is receiving of this cycle of life and death you know endings and beginnings and when you're no longer living in resistance of it you begin to live in the fulfillment of resurrection and rebirth continually there's an eastern uh, there's a, sorry an indian mystic who says escaping suffering only increases suffering but embracing suffering enables us to live fully escaping suffering increases suffering but embracing suffering enables us to live fully the the apostle paul put it like this suffering produces patience or perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope hope and suffering are undeniably entwined with one another you cannot hope if you live in avoidance of suffering in the same way you cannot be comforted unless you mourn until you examine and take stock of what is and and how you respond viscerally how your body responds to it until we fully allow that and give ourselves permission for it we can't be fully comforted you know the the first funeral i ever did was for a wonderful beautiful courageous family who had lost their baby and their baby was called hope and i remember this day so clearly it's marked me forever because i remember standing with the father of this little girl and we were outside and we were had just left the little chapel and he looked up at the sky and he said aren't the colors beautiful and i thought how do those two things exist in one place the loss and the pain and the devastation of losing a child and yet the acknowledgement of beauty and it stuck with me because it's the it's one of the most truest you know expressions of our humanity that i could ever describe to anyone these things exist together they are not enemies and they are not in opposition to one another and as long as they are in our lives we will experience a disintegration and a lack of fulfillment to hope is to have suffered and to hope is to view your future as written not with the pen of fear but with an expectation for goodness to prevail i don't know about you but when i've been around people that have suffered and still look to their future with an anticipation that good things will come i see manifested before me the word hope In the story of Lazarus, Jesus went on to raise him from the dead. That's what the story says. So why did he cry? He knew that his suffering wasn't more powerful than its redemption. But just because redemption was coming didn't mean his suffering 
wouldn't deserve his voice. And those who have fully suffered, fully experience redemption. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted is to say you will be comforted. Your life isn't going to be a succession of devastation upon devastation. You will be comforted. You will be restored. This will be redeemed. There is a resurrection coming surely as the morning dawn will break through the night. But you will only truly experience that end when you embrace and you face and you stop running from the pain and the disappointment and the sorrow of what is now. With each of these Beatitudes, there's a couple very simple practices that I've embraced to try to experience them in my life. Last week I spoke about slowing down and serving others. And with this particular beatitude, the practice is simply space. I've used this phrase throughout the podcast, examine, right? So examine our lives, examine our experiences, examine what we're going through and perhaps our own actions and our thoughts so that we can experience the sorrow and the true response to what is happening and therefore receive the comfort and the forgiveness we need to live fully Um, and so there's this incredible very simple prayer that was created by uh, the mystic the monk saint ignatius over 400 years ago and it's called the examine to do just that to examine ourselves and our lives and and to end each day with a true experience of what it was rather than just this kind of bouncing between one set of 24 hours and the next and so i'm going to share with you my adaptation of the examine um my simplified version but something that i've been doing for years now and really don't think about doing anymore it's just a part of my the ending of my day and just a rhythm that comes with each time i get into bed um and so it's these four very simple stages um the first is rest and this is simply positioning myself to rest so slowing down my thoughts and what i do for this is simply focus on my breath my inhale and my exhale for a couple of minutes and as i do that i really do slow down my thinking really does become more managed and less frantic and chaotic and i can feel my whole body beginning to rest the psalmist says in psalm 46 be still and know that i am god stillness is a pathway to deep knowing and so the first stage is just rest so get in your bed you could be lying down sitting up and just focus on your breath for a couple of minutes and you'll feel your body beginning to just quiet and then the second um, stage is remember so after we've rested and we've just come to this place of stillness we remember the day which might sound so simple and really it is It's just a remembering of our experiences. So often we just move so quickly that we don't, you know, we don't really take 
take uh, account of what actually happened. And so when we remember, we're literally experiencing the day again in our mind's eye. Where did we go? Who did we see? What did we say? What did we eat? Remember the day. Tell yourself about the day as if you were telling someone who asked you, what was your day? What did you do? Just remember what you did and, and experience the day again. You lived this day. You were here. It happened. It was real. And so we remember it. No judgment, no evaluation, just remember. And then after remembering, we reflect. And this reflection process is the point where we take account for the moments we felt or experienced something that needs more time. So perhaps it was an anxiety you felt, perhaps it was a huge amount of joy you felt, but it was significant points in the day that we're gonna reflect upon. I'm just gonna take a moment to reflect upon what I felt when I walked into that room to have that meeting. I felt some anxiety. And why did I feel that anxiety? Well, I was feeling inadequate and unqualified to have the meeting. You know, you just spend some time reflecting on these significant moments in the day that stand out to you. And the reason we do that is so that we can create space to actually value, validate, and give worth to what we felt. And perhaps in that day there is some sadness. Perhaps there's something that caused you grief. Then there is this opportunity to mourn. And to mourn is to fully experience the reality of that moment. And as we talked about, without doing it, we can't experience the comfort that then leads to true fulfillment. But perhaps it's it's just, you know, good vibes that it was something that brought you so much joy. Well, celebrate it. You know, we get to celebrate it in our reflection of it. And so the next stage is uh, this word repent. And I've talked about this before, but repentance just comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means turn around. And so it's an opportunity to turn around, to change our consciousness. So in my reflection of most days, there's a point where I did something, I said something, or I thought something that I don't want to repeat the next day. And so repentance is an opportunity for me to ask for forgiveness. And sometimes it's in prayer and it's towards God. Sometimes it's actually making a note of someone I'm going to contact the next day and just say, bruv, I spoke to you in a way which in reflection was pretty demeaning. And I want to repent. I want to ask for your forgiveness. I want to change my consciousness. And perhaps it's even a forgiveness of yourself. It's this opportunity to change, to evolve, to turn around and to restore before the day comes to an end. And then finally, it's rejoice. And the rejoicing part of this process is both in reflection of the day and in anticipation of the, the day that's coming. So it's it's a, a point of gratitude, of taking stock of all the goodness in your life and and, and just speaking out or writing down what you're grateful for. But also, what are you looking forward to? What, what is coming tomorrow that you're anticipating and excited about? And so you end the day with this, with this joy bubbling up in you that is going to overflow into the next day. And um, I find it so helpful and I find it a practice of creating space and, and, and moving into stillness before the day ends, which grounds me, centers me and truly helps me experience 
this abundant life that we've been talking about. So yours is the kingdom. Those who mourn will be comforted. Those who stop running from what is and experience the truth of now will be comforted and will be fulfilled. The kingdom is yours. Thank you.